It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. This is not a negotiation. I'm running this team because the Reinsdorfs want me to, and I'm going to run it that I think is best. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. I think your play is embarrassing. The pro player thing, this is basketball. Follow Locked On Bulls on social media, on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pat, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. I'm your host, Jordan Malley. Along with me is Matt Peck. Matt, what's going on? Finally going into All-Star break. How are you? Finally get a little bit of a break here. How you doing? I'm good, Jordan. What's going on, Bulls Nation? Happy to be taking a break from from the Bulls uh, as we head into the the end of this week and All-Star Weekend. Looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to fielding a lot of uh, fans' thoughts, questions, and comments uh, on today's Mailbag episode. Yeah, I think this is going to be just a mix of uh, some remnants from the trade deadline, what we heard from before, the reaction from Otto Porter's trade, the reaction from the press conference, the radio interviews, and everything that we've gotten since then so we're gonna mix intertwine voicemails text messages like we do every single week here on bulls mailbag locked on bulls mailbag you can drop text messages voicemails at 331-979-1369 as well on twitter let's dive right into these questions so from the 919 kind of piggybacks off of our last episode which Bulls free agent should they keep? I think the only one that is worthwhile right now is Wayne Seldon Jr. Matt, your thoughts? This one from the yeah, 9 I, I certainly would agree that it is worthwhile for the Bulls to at least try to negotiate a new contract with Seldon this summer, knowing that they will no longer be players uh, for big names in free agency, but they still need to fill in the holes of this roster for next season outside of their, their key guys. Selden is certainly showing us something right now. It looks like 
you know, back when we saw that holiday trade go down, you and I were saying, wow, we can't, you know, we actually got two second round picks for holiday. That's cool. And that sort of was the, the main focal point of the trade. And it just seemed like Selden was just, you know, the guy along with Brooks that they sent over. But in actuality, Selden has become a very important part of this Bulls rotation. And when you talk about some of the other decisions the Bulls have as far as who's on the roster this season going into next season, I don't think Robin Lopez is here to stay, even if he doesn't get bought out and finishes this season in a Bulls uniform. Uh, Obviously, Cam has been waived. Denzel is under contract for $3.37 million next season, which, you know, I, ugh, I'm i over Denzel. I'm ready to be done with it, but he's probably coming back. Uh, Luwawu, who, of course, you know, came over in the trade with uh, OKC. I haven't been that impressed with what I've seen from him. I don't think it is. it, it should be a pressing matter for the Bulls to keep him around. Uh and then when you get to some some of the other guys like uh, you know Blakeney under contract at one and a half million, the guy's been bouncing between the Windy City Bulls and, and the real squad for the last week or so. I think Boylan certainly is fed up with him and his shoot first mentality. Archie has a qualifying offer of one point eight million next season, and Shaq Harrison has one point five million non guaranteed. Those guys, Archie and Shaq, have have filled in dutifully at times when this team has been very depleted because of injuries I don't think it should be a priority for the Bulls to keep either of those guys I think they can do better elsewhere in free agency on guys who might not necessarily be second or or even third tier guys but veteran role players who they might pay a little bit more than Archie and Shaq but who can play at a higher level than those guys yep I would agree with you too uh Wayne Selden has a qualifying offer for 1.931 million dollars next season or this offseason I should say so we'll watch for that. He's a restricted free agent this summer. Like you were saying at the tail end of our episode, too, is like you got to be careful, depending on how many teams have been actually watching Wayne Selden and seeing what his what his offers are. And look, what we were talking to is this offseason, as far as free agency goes, is going to be very lucrative and how many players are out there. So I don't know what the market is going to be for Wayne Selden. So I think the Bulls are in a pretty good situation of wanting to bring him back and what the cost is going to be for him. So I think they're they're in the driver's seat for Wayne Selden. If if he continues to play the way he does for 27 games. And also, too, I want to bring this up since we're talking about him. We had somebody on Twitter um, ask us about our conversation a few days ago about bringing up Denzel Valentine and Wayne Selden and said, you know, I agree with 99% of the things that you guys say on the show, but I don't really get how you guys think that Wayne Selden is better than Denzel Valentine. Uh, sure, defensively, Selden is much better, but I believe their offensive ability is not even close. And I just kind of responded to that and just said, you know, we didn't get really deep into this comparison of e- either of the, the two players, but the Bulls can have both guys. Like Valentine's on board for next year. The option's already picked up, and Selden's a restricted free agent. They can have both guys, bring them both in for next year, evaluate who fits, let them fight it out, and they should do that. Both Valentine and Selden can switch between the two and the three. Bring both guys in, evaluate who fits, trade or let go of the one that doesn't. And that's simply how it should go in a rebuild. So what are your thoughts on that? But, I mean, I wouldn't agree with that fan's assessment that, sure, Selden's better on the defensive end, but offensively it's no contact. Like, we were just talking in our previous show about how Selden's shooting the lights out for behind the three-point line recently. Right. 
And I, I think he has, as far as who's on this roster right now, one of the highest basketball IQs in a Bulls jersey right now. You see him make the right pass. You see him make the right play. Since he arrived via that holiday trade, the dude looks like one of the more intelligent players on the floor every night for the Bulls. So, I mean, I know that Valentine statistically was this team's best three-point shooter last season, and maybe this fan who is texting us is a good pal of C-Red Freds who's obsessed with Denzel being a piece of this team long-term. But I would vehemently disagree with the fact that Valentine is – unquestionably a better offensive player than Wayne Selden. Because right now, Selden looks like a very useful player on both ends of the floor. Oh, and by the way, he's not wearing a gigantic boot sitting on the sideline in street clothes. Yeah, that's what I go back to is the injury. I need to see Denzel Valentine after a year not playing and all the injuries that have stacked up. So my point is like beyond the his opinion or the analysis of of who Denzel Valentine is compared to Wayne Selden, just bring both guys in and evaluate what happens next year between the two and let them fight it out. That's where I'm at. Both similar in age, both similar in cost. It'll be one year. Let those two fight it out. Agreed with you, though. It's going to be at low cost control. Denzel shot two, 38.6% last year in 77 games. So, um, yeah, I mean, you've got options. And there's no reason to let Wayne Selden walk just because you got Denzel on the roster for next year. There's no reason for that. And we'll see. 18 games isn't a big sample size either. So we got to see if he can stick that out and continue to play as well as he is uh, in this short term. So um, some things to think about, but the Bulls are in the driver's seat for him. So yes, bring him back. That should be a priority. Don't let him walk like David DeWaba did for nothing last year. And arguably, Wayne Selden's probably a better piece than Nawaba was last year. So. Certainly more useful on the offensive end. All right, this next one comes to us from the 808. Hey, gents, can someone explain a dumbed-down version of the rules regarding waiving or releasing a player to free up cap space? This kind of goes into what we were just talking about, Jordan. Um, I'm stumped why the Bulls haven't released and waived Felicio and Valentine yet seeing how they could potentially open another $10 million in cap space. If releasing and waiving Felicio and Valentine is impossible, how do you guys feel about packaging our 2019 first-round pick, if it falls out of the top five, Valentine and Felicio, for another huge contract on a player that a team doesn't want but benefits the Bulls? For example, if the Blazers want to rebuild and are willing to trade Damian Lillard, can the Bulls offer this trade to help Portland free up their cap space by trading Lillard and his salary, waiving Felicio and Valentine. The Bulls, in turn, get a point guard we need. Hope to hear from you. Thanks for the great pod. Uh, okay, so a lot of uh, elements there, Jordan. Before we get to the how you know waiving and releasing works, I would say that this this proposed trade with the, the Blazers, if they are actually getting into this offseason thinking about finally blowing it up and blowing up their backcourt of Dame and McCollum, would not at not even... They, they would laugh at that offer of the, the lottery pick that isn't number one just so that they can shed Lillard's contract. Lillard is a superstar, and they would absolutely demand more than that. So I don't think that this fan's proposed hypothetical there is in the world of reality at all. As far as the waiving and releasing goes, they have a stretch provision in the current CBA which the Bulls have used on Omera Sheik, who, remember, had to come in so that they could get a first-rounder for Nico last year. But the amnesty clause that they used to get rid of Boozer's tail under his contract, there is no such amnesty clause in the current uh, current form of the CBA. 
So there are talks of an amnesty coming back in the next CBA when that is negotiated. But right now, that is not a thing they can do. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just be get, getting rid of Felicio on your roster doesn't mean you don't owe him money. You still got to pay him that money. You still owe him that $16 million. Look, I'm in agreement with you. The Blazers would laugh at that offer, even with the first-round pick included. Like, to, like what we were talking about, I think about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago on a mailbag we did. This was about a week ago when we were doing our trade deadline. Like talking about CJ McCollum. Like you have to include somebody like Zach Levine or maybe Wendell Carter Jr. to even to for the Blazers not even to hang up the phone on you. Like that's what the cost is to get a superstar or a star in this league. You've got to start with a building piece for anybody to give up a star. That's just frankly what it is. And including a first-round pick that's not in a in a top-heavy draft, that's not a starter. Would you want that on the Bulls if somebody came to you and said, hey, we'll give you Denzel Valentine, Cristiano Felicio, and a first-round pick for, say it was, I don't know, say it was Jimmy Butler two years ago. Would that be cool with you? I mean, the only way I would consider that is if I knew that it was the number one pick and I would get Zion. No, like right. in, in the this specific context of, the of this five. 2019 draft, it is like if I'm the Blazers in that hypothetical, I only maybe consider it if I know I'm getting the number one pick, a.k.a. Zion. If I'm getting ready to blow this up and get rid of Damian Lillard, one of the best scoring point guards in the league right now. That is the only way I consider it. So so this person's suggestion of like, but only if it's outside the top five, like why would the Blazers do that? If I'm the Bulls, and, and your hypothetical, Jordan, if that were the package or the offer for Jimmy, hey, we'll help you clear some cap space and give you a lottery pick and you give us Jimmy, I'm laughing at yeah. that. As far as the stretch goes, I think it was uh, Ryan Bohr out there, the Bulls GM on Twitter. I think somebody had asked him a few days ago right at the trade deadline is if, if the Bulls even considered waving and stretching Felicio's contract, what would that look like? And I think over five years, it would be something like somewhere around $3 million over five years on the books. But why would you do that if you're still in a rebuild? Just get, get off the money, get off the books in two years. You already just committed to $27 million over two years to Otto Porter. So if things aren't going right anyway, you still got all that money there, so just leave it. Because then you can completely wipe your sheet in two years. So just leave it at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so... Thanks for the question. I understand like the, the cap thing is difficult. And over the next few weeks, we'll try to bring a cap expert on to just kind of run through the next few years what the Bulls cap situation looks like and kind of talk through all of this stuff. All right, Jordan, this next one comes to us from Nick 
uh, at the University of Minnesota. Gophers! That's their mascot, right? Uh, all right, Nick's question is about a new big for the Bulls. After this season, the Bulls will have one true center on the team. I'm not counting Felicio, speak of the devil. Uh, and I saw some people suggesting they bring back Joakim Noah as a veteran big man to play behind Wendell. What are your thoughts on that? And if not him, who would you want to bring in? Thanks. Um, this is an interesting one, Jordan, especially you know on the heels of we saw Joe Keem and the Grizzlies play the Bulls Wednesday night. Uh, he has really had some strong performances. He had that 19 and 14 performance off the bench for them earlier this week. He certainly looks revitalized um, in in this you know resurgent part of his career after some really tough years in New York. I don't know. I, I'm sure you are as much as I. Very happy for Joe that he is back playing in the NBA uh, and, and playing a, a real role for a team, even if it's a, a, a bad, downtrending team like like Memphis. I don't know about this place, man. I just stayed in my hotel room, man. Every time I look out my window, it's, it's pretty depressing out here, man. It's bad. It's bad. So you don't, you're not going out? No. No going out in Cleveland, man. It's all factories. Do you regret anything that you said about Cleveland? Not at all. You like it? You think Cleveland's cool? I mean, I never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation. I mean, what's so good about Cleveland? I love the idea of bringing Joe back as a veteran, like leader and role player and and front court depth guy on this team at some point. But I don't know if you've read it yet. Sam Smith did a great piece for Bulls.com talking to Joe just a couple weeks ago about where he is now. And he ended the interview asking Joe Keem about if he's thought about coming back to finish his career in a Bulls uniform. And Joe Keem essentially brushed it off and said, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm trying to live in the now, be the best version of myself, finish out this season strong and, and, you know, take it one day at a time. So I don't know where Joe's head is on that idea. I know, as I said, I would love it. I don't know if there are certain bridges that need to be rebuilt and mended because he did not leave on great terms and he left this organization very frustrated. I agree with you on that. I think, you know, we can't forget about all the relationships that were kind of not necessarily burned, but, you know, not left in on, on the greatest of terms. And it's it, and it goes it doesn't have to necessarily be with the front office it can just be how things ended here, you know? And do you want to really bring that all back up? And Joe, for the first time, has actually got back out on the court and having some success. And I don't think he's ready to just turn immediately around and come back to the place that it all kind of ended. So maybe he wants to go somewhere where he can be competitive and, and maybe chase that ring that he never got a chance to get to the finals. And that that those can be still on his list of priorities, so... You know, we don't, none of us know what, what his goals are still. So I don't know if, if being a veteran mentor is something on his list yet. And that to me doesn't sound like that's a, something he's looking into, looking at. When you hear him talk, you hear him talk about how the Bulls got so close, you know, to the ultimate NBA mountaintop with, you know, some of those teams in the early 2010s with MVP Derek and the way he was playing well and Lou Waldang in his prime and Taj is a great role guy and a glue guy. It clearly, it still stings Noah that that team didn't win a title because he really thought they had what it takes and, and they came close. Um, of course, Derek's injury derailed all of that. But 
what I will say for those who are hoping to see Joakim back in a Bulls uniform at some point before he retires, and I agree with you, I think it, it's probably not likely to happen soon if he does keep playing and has four or five more seasons in him. Two of the key pieces that really made Joe Keem's exit and final season with the Bulls so frustrating are no longer here. Those pieces being Fred Hoiberg and Jimmy Butler. Because Fred Hoiberg is the one who really, you know, got Joe Keem a little ticked off with the whole. Fred told the media that it was Joe Keem's idea to come off the bench so that Powell and Nico could start together, and Joe Keem flat out denied that and said, that's not true. I never volunteered to come off the bench. So there was miscommunication there with Fred that clearly, I think, hurt Joe's feelings. And simultaneously, Jimmy Butler was turning into this rising megastar who tried to take over that locker room, which was, up until that point, Joe Keem and Derek's locker room. And there all of a sudden was this huge divide. And as much as the media wanted to make it out to be Derek versus Jimmy, it was way more so Joakim versus Jimmy. And Joakim had a huge problem with Jimmy's suddenly immense ego. So Jimmy's gone and Fred's gone. That might help if the Bulls are interested in bringing Joakim back to rebuild some of those bridges that have been burnt because those two key guys are no longer here, and they were a big part of the problem as far as what soured Joakim on the Bulls at the end of his tenure. Very interesting. I'm just looking over the the centers as far as who is a free agent this summer and not saying that they need to bring in another center because they probably don't, but if they do, and I don't want Cristiano Felici well, I mean, to back ass- up. I- Wendell Carter Jr. Assuming, yeah, assuming Rolo walks and we can't use Felicio. Like, Felicio, even though we're tanking, can't even get into the rotation as of Monday night. Like, Boylan has been going 10 deep, and Monday night he went 9 deep and didn't play Felicio. So if they don't if they don't draft somebody, which they've got plenty of other needs that need to be filled besides drafting somebody. So if they don't take somebody with, say, the Memphis pick in the second round, if they don't adjust the need in the draft or the young player... Here's who I tell you I don't want. DeAndre Jordan's one of them. Don't go anywhere near him. Oh, God. Dwight Howard's another one. No, because... Don't go you, anywhere near him. You'd, I, they probably couldn't even afford DeAndre Jordan. I Yeah, I don't know. That would be... A, that's a debate for the summer. He He's an overpaid yeah. player, but he's a name. Like, DeAndre Jordan is going to get money somewhere. Name, but <laughs> that's a debate for the summer. Uh, but I'll say just stay away from him. Stay away from Dwight Howard. What if... If any, leadership qualities are in Tyson Chandler, but that's another name that's an old veteran out there. Um, he'll be cheap, too. So I don't know what what connection there is there. But other than that, I don't see any names that are just popping off the popping off the screen to me as far as free agents for centers next year. So um, Joe's the only one out there, but it doesn't sound like there's there's a whole lot of interest. But things can change, but we'll see. We'll see what he says and how the year plays out for him. So. Got to take a short break here on Locked on Bulls. When we come back, we're taking more of your questions, your voicemails. 331-979-1369, the place to hit us up. Drop your text, drop your voicemails. Whenever you're listening to the show, wherever you're listening to the show, 331-979-1369. Stay listening to us here at Locked on Bulls. Be back in 60 seconds. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. 
Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Bulls Nation? Matt and Jordan here with Locked On Bulls and a simple request for you, our listeners. We'd like your help. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcasts, including Locked On Bulls, even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and tell us what you don't like. It should take just 10 to 15 minutes to complete the survey, and by participating in the survey, you enter the chance to win a $250 Vivid Seats gift card. Just visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey to participate. That's LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. We appreciate your feedback very much. Back here on Locked On Bulls, hit us up on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Our text and voicemail line is at 331-979-1369. Drop us your text and your voicemails. All right, let's get to some voicemails here. Hey, fellas. Ryan here down in Texas. Uh, just listen to the spot on the YouTube deadline show with the other Locked On guys. Awesome to see that. Something that uh, jogged my brain a little bit here. A lot of Bulls fans are concerned with the money spent on, on Auto Porter, and I know you guys touched on that. But uh, something else to bring up here is that this trade might push us out of that top three when it comes to draft day. And a lot of concern there seems like, which I don't, I don't really see. Um, we've, we've seen the success Bulls have had at the seven uh, over the last couple of years. But my question here is if we do get pushed out of that top three spot into maybe the four or five, what kind of player are the Bulls going to be looking to get? It may be a little premature to talk about specific players, but when it comes to position need, uh, I'm curious who the Bulls are going to go after. Um, would, would, would be curious to hear you guys' thoughts there. Love the show. Uh, talk to you guys soon. All right, thanks for the call, Ryan from Texas. By the way, too, just real quick before we touch on this call, Everybody that drops us text or voicemails, I know we can't get to every single one. We get a ton of voicemails, tons of text messages every single week. But believe me, we do read them. We do listen to them all. And so we try to touch on as many topics as possible. And we incorporate that into our conversation. So don't feel bad if you get left out. We try to get to as many as possible. So continue to do that. We'll get to it at some point. But Ryan, quickly, this is a good this is a good conversation to have. And we touched on it a couple different times. But again... Otto Porter being put into the starting lineup, some fans are fearing that this is going to make the Bulls better and make them win games down the stretch. Matt, if the Bulls get pushed out of the top three and maybe are out on Zion, John Morant, or RJ Barrett, or Cam Reddish, who are the Bulls? Who should the Bulls be targeting? Who will they be looking at to draft if they end up four or five coming up in this draft? Who do you think that they'll be looking at? Well, for this scenario, hypothetically, let's just say the Bulls end up at four. I think there's still a chance that Cam Reddish is there at four. Not likely, but there's a chance. And if he is, I know a lot of people have been disappointed overall on the season that Cam Reddish has had for Duke, uh, and that's fair. But he's really started to come along lately, including the the insane comeback that Duke had last night. Um, he played very well and hit some big shots, including some, some big threes down the stretch of that game. So there is some hope about how Cam's game can translate to the NBA and you know some fans may just be panicking about adding another young player named Cameron to this team and you know a PTSD I get it but I'm just saying the guy has looked better recently another name that I think would be interesting if the Bulls are unlucky here and outside the top three and someone to keep an eye on 
is Jarrett Culver, the shooting guard from Texas Tech. Uh, I you know I think I've I've really liked what I've seen from him this season. Someone I'm down on compared to what I was expecting coming into this season is the wing Nasir Little from UNC. He's kind of trending downward right now for me. And then uh, another guy from Virginia Tech that I think is interesting is uh, Nikhail Alexander-Walker. He's kind of like a combo shooting guard wing, decent size. He's had some pretty strong games this season, and he's right now projected to be like mid, you know, mid lottery, maybe somewhere rounding out the top 10. Uh, so as far as position of need, uh, clearly for the Bulls, it's it's point guard. They have addressed the wing position with Otto, and they do have Chandler Hutchison in the fold now. So I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to be drafting for need. But if they, you know, if they miss out on Zion and Morant and Barrett, they'll have some options. Most of them are going to be shooting guards and combo wings. Yeah, I'd be in agreement on that too. And like, if John Morant goes in the top three and the Bulls are at four, then Cam Reddish would be your next available player at four. I would agree with that. Like, Cam Reddish can shoot the three, and I know his stats probably don't align great with what people would want. Thirty-five percent from three on an average of eight threes a night for Duke. I know that's not great, but Kid is only 19. Just looking at his per 36-minute stats, 18.1 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and 2.6 steals a game as the third option on Duke alongside Zion and RJ. I mean, I'll take that. That's fine. And hey, if, if John Morant slips out of the top three and you're at four and John Morant's that guy, I am I'm more than pleased with that. I'm totally fine with that. that I, is, I would be, based on what we've same. seen over the last couple of weeks, I would be shocked. I would totally if, agree if with that. If the Bulls are at four and John Moran is there. I think there's totally no way he goes out, outside um, of the top three. Crazier now. things have happened, though. And like I said, you know, after the season's over, you know, weird things happen. Guys slip up and down the board all the time. And, you know, recency bias happens a lot. So. For trend into the tourney and Cam Reddish balls out in the tourney, there's a chance that it can still be Duke 1-2-3, Zion, Barrett, and Reddish. Like, that can still happen. Agreed. Totally agree. So, um, some other names. You did bring up Jared Culver. I think that is a good option, too. Like, his per 30 minutes, 36-minute stats, 220.2 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 4.2 assists, and then 1.2 steals. So six five one ninety. So yeah, thanks for the question. All right, on to another voicemail here. Are we doing uh, Jimmy next? Hi, Matt and Jordan. This is uh, Jimmy from over in the UK. Um, we interact quite a bit on Twitter. Um, as you know, big, big, big fan of the show. Um, even from your your uh, debatable show before lockdown, I think I've missed you know eight to ten episodes in total over the years. So I love the show, really do. Big fan. How you guys do that? Five days a week talking about this Bulls team, which, you know, let's be honest, there's not much to be excited about at the moment. It's, it's incredible. So I'll keep that going, guys. Brilliant work. Um, to some of the other Bulls fans out there, and it's quite infuriating listening to them, to be honest. Um, Matt, I pretty much agree with most of the things you've said recently. Um, people saying about Bobby going and, and bringing in Paul to Junior. Um, Everyone loves Bobby. Yeah, there's no denying that. Everyone, any Bulls fan in the world, I'm over the other side of the pond. We all love Bobby. Um, but this is a, a great business move. So let's give the front office some credit, yeah? Credit where credit's due. Yeah, they've made some huge mistakes. We all know that. Um, 
They've been well documented, but this is a good move going forward. It's, it's not a, the people keep saying about the contract, it's not a long contract. I think it's only two years after this year. So that's not bad. We've got a, he's a young player. It's a position we desperately needed to fill, like Matt was saying. It's, I don't understand. I get people are upset that Bobby's gone, but I don't get why they're not happy with the trade. It's a good trade. Gar Foreman and John Paxson have done well for once, so let's give them a bit of credit. Yes, we may win the odd game more. That is a worry. I know Matt said that you don't think it being a problem going forward. I think it, it may push us to win an extra game or two. Hopefully no more than that. Um, and yeah, as for Jim Boylan, let's just hope that he's gone in the summer and uh, someone comes in and, and does a job with these guys and Obviously, let's hope we get Zion, but that remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, that's about it, really, guys. Um, keep up the great work. Like I say, I will get out to Chicago one day. I've never actually been. Um, I've been a Bulls fan since the 90s, for obvious reasons. Um, so one day I'm coming out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet up with you guys. We can have a beer together, and uh, I'm going to go to a game. Look forward to it. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for the call, Jimmy. This is the first time we've gotten uh, Jimmy to get, give us a call. I know it's difficult for our, for our international listeners to give us a call, and Jimmy's figured it out, so we'll try to get in touch with Jimmy and see how he was able to do that. But we want to, we definitely want to hear from our international listeners as well. So thanks for dropping the call. Look, I know a lot of our fans, too, some more attached than others to Bobby Portis, and we get it. I felt bad, too, like... Bobby was one the heart and soul of this team, and I liked Bobby too, but the reality of the situation is the Bulls made a move for a guy that's now is seemingly, I know it's only three games, but seems to be a, more of a fit in that starting lineup, and we'll see how that progresses over the next two years. But as far as the Jim Boylan thing, Matt, goes, and I'll let you touch on this first, but I have a theory about Jim Boylan and John Paxson. These two guys, Matt, listening to the press conference, the interviews, listening to the way Jim Boylan talks, I'm scared, man. These two's philosophies line up more and more together. They are parallel. They, these two talk the same way, speak the same philosophies, more than I've ever heard a coach line up with the way Paxson thinks. And that scares me to death and that doesn't change my opinion about me thinking Jim Boylan should be gone at the end of the year but that scares the hell out of me yeah I mean I I think think? it's fair to uh to highlight some of the similarities and how they talk and and what matters to them and talking about even in Paxson's interviews saying when he was asked you know what he's seen from Boylan recently that gives him faith that Boylan's the right guy to keep doing this and talking about seeing how guys are fighting hard in practice and stuff like that and I mean yeah, they're like I see the correlation that you're talking about with the way that Paxson and Boylan appear to be addressing what is the focus of this rebuild right now and how to go about getting the results that they want. However, it it is not so striking to me that it is getting me to worry yet about Boylan actually being here next season. Now, maybe we are sitting here months from now as we are getting ready for spring or, or as we're getting spring training. Baseball's on my mind uh, as we're getting ready for training camp to say, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe that it's actually happening. And Jim Boylan is still here. 
if and when that day comes, I will say, man, you know, I really thought that they were just providing some lip service to Boylan to to keep any respect and credibility among his his young team that he had instead of undercutting him to the media. And that's all I thought it was. And it turns out I was wrong. And Paxson actually does believe in Jim Boylan this much, so much so to keep him on board for at least another year. If that happens months from now, I'll say I was wrong. But I really, really think that Bulls fans shouldn't panic yet about Boylan and Paxson and the fact that they, you know, Paxson loves Boylan and Boylan is going to be the head coach of this team next season. I really don't think we're there yet. I really think that they have to honestly evaluate Boylan's job. This is a guy who burned his final timeout six and a half minutes remaining in the fourth quarter on Monday. Like, Boylan makes some seriously head-scratching decisions so many times he looks like a guy who's in way over his head. And the Bulls, for all that this fan base likes to crap on the front office, they cannot be that blind to stuff like that. Cannot be that blind to stuff like that. I agree. And look, panic buttons on the desk. The, the glass case is flipped up. And I got my hand over it, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to hit it yet. It's just there. My hand is, is is hovering it, but I haven't hit it yet, and I agree with you. I need to hear it, and I need to hear it straight from their mouths that say, Jim Boylan is back 100%, and that doesn't happen until April. So I'm with you. I'm not going to freak out yet, but I'm just saying like hearing all of that multiple times and needing to listen to that like half a dozen times a piece, that's where I'm becoming more and more afraid that the the philosophies are lining up more than I thought ever before. Um, so I just take that for what it is. And look, to to Jim Boylan, the team looks a little bit better now. So he has changed a little bit. But at the same time, what you did in the first two or three weeks with this team, you're, you're paying for it now. The, the hammer has been slammed down and you're paying for it. So... You can't just wipe away and forget and pretend like that that is completely forgotten. So, and the players sure don't forget that. And I mean, l- let's be honest. Do do the Bulls front office and ownership? W- which would they rather have happen to them? They keep Jim Boylan around and Paxson keeps his guy, who is a shock and awe, tough-minded coach, who he thinks is the right guy for the job. And Zach Levine comes to them and says, "I can't." I'm demanding a trade. Trade me. I don't want this. I can't play for this guy. He's insane. Or would they prefer to keep Zach Levine, who is actually starting to show real signs of chemistry with Lowry Market and their other building block right now, and do so finding a new coach that perhaps more fits the style of how the NBA is trending? Because Boylan can be a Fred Hoiberg copycat for a stretch of games, which is what we've seen so far in this increased offensive efficiency that 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 Boylan bragged about the other day but it's I mean you're not getting the real thing it's like cool whip instead of whipped cream it's just frozen yogurt instead of ice cream if what you like about Boylan right now is the increased offensive efficiency that he's getting under a Fred Hoiberg kind of offense you can go find that somewhere else with a coach who doesn't make his players run until yeah, they bleed it's like shopping at Aldi it's like you can find some name brand stuff there, but you also get Aldi brand, which is slapped right on there. And it's it's basically the same thing as what it, what you would buy in name brand, but it's just got Aldi brand on it. So it's Fred Hoiberg's system, but it's Jim Boylan slapped on there. We'll find out, right, in April? 
or may we'll find out if this is real or not and they had that decision to make with Butler, and they chose Hoiberg over Butler. And I'm not saying the situation's anywhere near the same, but they had a decision like this similar two years ago, and they made their choice then. So, And in the meantime, right. Jimmy, come over across the pond, and we'll get some pints and try not to worry about tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, one more voicemail here, and then we'll run through some more text messages. Remember, 331-979-1369. If you can't remember that number, pull out your phone right now. Save it as Locked On Bulls. 331-979-1369. Save that in your contacts. You can drop us text, voicemails, whenever you're listening to the show, wherever you're listening to the show. Another voicemail on deck. Let's get it. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Patrick from Northwest Indiana. Um, I'm going to try and articulate this the best I can, but I want to talk a little bit about Gar and Pax. Um, I know there's a big part of our fan base that highly resents Gar and Pax and feels like they've been around too long and that they should have been uh, cast aside a long time ago. Well, now, a question that I want to pose to you guys is this. Um, when... Paxson came in to his role in 2003 and made the move that he did that eventually led to D. Rose being drafted in 2008 in that summer. Uh, and then next, next thing you know, 2010, 2011, fast forward a couple years, he wins the MVP and the Bulls are on the cusp of fighting for a, for a potential championship. Now, with that run from 2003 till that point before Rose got hurt, would that not be considered a pretty successful rebuild? And if it wasn't for D. Rose being, you know, injury riddled, um, you know, would have things been, well, would things be different regarding the outlook of Paxson and Gar? at this point in time, you know, and maybe I feel the reason why the why the rise the Reisdorfs have given even more opportunity to to Garn Packs is because of maybe they believe there was a successful rebuild well done by Paxson and Gar when they, you know, drafted Ding and Noah and Gibson and Heinrich and then they got lucky with Rose and they were right there ready to compete for a championship and oh man bad luck now they you know had then they had to tear it back down so so maybe the Reinsdorf still have a bit of confidence in Paxson and Gar because they feel you know what they built up the team once before and almost got to a championship and if it wasn't for the injuries they probably wholeheartedly believe that they would have got there and so this is you know i feel you know their their last chance i mean if if they can't build it up this time then uh i would put my money on them being gone at some point whether if it's you know i i won't put a year amount on it all right thanks for the call from the 312 so before we answer this, we got to preface this. This call was dropped from January 31st, so this was a week before the trade deadline happened, so all before the press conference, the radio interviews, the trades. So, But I felt like it was fair enough to play on our show because we've got to play both sides, and we try to be as fair as possible on this show. 
Uh, Matt, what's your initial reaction from this? Uh, because this is some of the stuff that Gar Foreman and John Paxson have both used when talking about um, rebuilds, the multiple rebuilds that they've had since their tenure here. Uh, how do you feel about um, this? I, I feel like this caller brings up some fair points. Thanks for for checking in, Patrick. Um, as far as why the Reinsdorf still have so much faith in John Paxson and Gar Foreman, what they've always leaned on is their ability to draft well. And that is true when Patrick says things like Paxson took over in 2003 and the Bulls hit on Luol Deng and Kirk Heinrich in the same draft. They hit on Taj and Joe Keem as part of that kind of continuation of the baby Bills, Bulls rebuild after the initial baby Bulls, you know, featuring other you know role players like Nocioni and that and those guys surprisingly made it to a, you know the playoffs and won a playoff series of just a few years after Paxson took control against the defending champion Miami Heat. Like that's a thing that happened, and Paxson deserved credit for that. But that was more than ten years ago. And Patrick also mentioned the fact that they, you know, they got Derrick Rose and built that back towards a team that was championship contention kind of team. And if it weren't for Derrick's injury, maybe the the fan base looks a little more favorably at at Paxson and Foreman and, give, and and is more willing to cut them a break here and there uh, with with other transgressions that the fan base is is mad about these days. Okay, here's the thing with that: you can't give them credit for getting lucky and getting Derrick Rose. At the time, they were a team that was not even in purgatory of middling NBA teams that are stuck in the middle somewhere. They were a little more bad than stuck in the middle. And they had a less than 2% chance to get the number one pick to turn that into Derrick Rose, who became the league's youngest MVP ever. They, you, you, you can't give them credit for successfully getting a rebuild back towards championship contention because they got Derrick Rose. You can credit them for building around him, adding a, a young quality bench piece like Taj Gibson, adding quality bench pieces to create the bench mob, which was at the time one of the better bench units in the league with pieces like Kyle Korver and C.J. Watson and all of those pieces. You can give them credit for that kind of stuff. But the fact that Derrick Rose being the youngest MVP ever and him coming from a 1 point whatever, 8%, 1.7% chance in the draft lottery being the biggest reason they were back towards championship contention, you can't give him credit for that. And guess what? Derrick Rose tearing his ACL happened, let's see, quick math, seven years ago now? Seven years ago. Credit them for drafting Jimmy Butler at 30 and that kid turning into a star. Credit them for that. But how I, I, th- I think the fans, the fan base's biggest grievance right now is a combination of how much longer are they going to try and take credit for drafting guys that are really, you know, out of the picture because they're not willing to give them credit now for drafting Lowry or Wendell for whatever reason, even though I think they did hit on both of those draft picks personally. And how much longer are they going to use Derrick Rose's injury as an excuse? Because we hear that from them a lot, and I think it drives the fan base crazy because, as I said, that was seven years ago. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too. The fact that, you know, had they not hit on that, whatever it was, 1.6% chance in 2008 for Derrick Rose, like, where would you have been? Joakim Noah and Ben Gordon would have been your 
two best players on that roster, right? And and that team's not winning 62 games no. and going to the conference finals. So I get it. Part of the NBA is luck. That's part of building teams. That's part of it. But it's not all of that, and you can't bank on building a championship team off of luck. If you do that, you end up where you are right now, a, a decade without getting back to the NBA Finals. Uh, two decades without getting back to the NBA Finals. Like, think about it from this perspective. The Bulls were not even two years, not even two years removed from swapping LaMarcus Aldridge for Tyrus Thomas. And then they got Derrick Rose. They did draft Joe Kim Noah in between those two years. And they drafted Taj Gibson right after that, a year after the Derrick Rose draft. So I'll give them that. And then two years after that, and then they drafted Taj Gibson, and then they drafted Jimmy Butler. But then it kind of all fell, fell downhill after that, you know? And so it was stacking up. It was the Tony Snell draft. It was the Marquise Teague draft. It was trading up for Doug McDermott, for, for Nurk, trading away Nurkic and Harris. And then you got Bobby, but then it was trading and, and drafting Denzel. So it was all of these little things that added up. And I agree with you, Matt, too. It's like Paxson wants to just focus on the future when it's convenient for him. But then when people ask him about not getting any free agents in the last decade, two decades, then he just talks about being a player and being in the conversation back in 2010. I just, I don't get it. It's when it's convenient for them, they talk about the past. But when it's not, and when you're pressed about what's happening now... It's like, no, we, we, we can't look back at the past. We got to look at the future. So it's just kind of a contradiction for me. As far as like what the Reinsdorfs are, are doing and why they have so much faith in this, this is how they have always operated, though. It's always operated to, back to loyalty. You can look at it the way the White Sox have operated. Since they won the World Series, Kenny Williams had been running the show. He had been running the show in... The Sox made one playoff appearance in 2008 from from winning the World Series, and then it took so long for them to finally move him out of that position and bring Rick Hahn in. Finally, and we're still not even at a point with the as as a White Sox fan. So it's happened with two different franchises. It's just the way Jerry Reinsdorf has always been. He's loyal to a fault and loyal to all the people around around him, and that's a good thing, and it's also a really bad thing. So well, and, and I, I don't would know add- if this is it. I would add this about the Reinsdorfs. Jerry is checked out. Michael is running this team. Or I should say Michael is running this company. Michael is uh, a perfectly competent executive when it comes to turning the Bulls from a $2.6 billion company last season into a $2.9 billion company this season. Really good at that. But Michael Reinsdorf is not a basketball mind. Michael Reinsdorf does not know the ins and outs and intricacies of this sport and the way that this league is trending. Michael Reinsdorf does not have a circle, an inner circle of basketball minds that he trusts, which is why he just lets John Paxson run this team and John Paxson brings back in Doug Collins to be like a special advisor who we never hear from because this team is stuck in the past. Michael Reinsdorf doesn't have circles. Michael Reinsdorf doesn't know basketball people, which is why to me, and it's something that you and I joke about a lot on this show since he mentioned it at the beginning of this season, and it's a drop that you put in there all the time, 
when he references Jerry West being so enamored with the Bulls' rebuild and the direction they're going, and Michael Reinsdorf saying, "Well, well, well, Jerry Jerry West believes in in our rebuild and our direction, and I trust him because he's Jerry West." That is the extent of basketball relationships and advice and wisdom that Michael Reinsdorf has at his disposal is the occasional phone call with Jerry West, who, by the way, is busy running his own organization. So that is the problem. The Reinsdorfs and the loyal to a fault, part of it is Paxson was and still is because of loyalty a big part of this organization since his playing days. That's part of it. But part of the loyalty is the fact that Michael Reinsdorf just doesn't have any connections because he's not a basketball guy. He's a CEO of a company, and that is a big part of the problem. And Jerry West, by the way, is playing hes playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, too, with the Clippers and doing it again with what he did with the Warriors. So, I, I don't know. It just goes back to everything we've said, and I think now what we heard from the press conference, and like I said before, preface this with this voicemail came a week before all this trade deadline and press conference and radio interviews. And what I will say is, I think from what I heard from the press conference and the radio interviews is Paxson is more dug in and has dug his heels in now more so than ever before. Foresee them leaving anytime soon. I really don't. I think this is him digging his heels in and saying, we're going to try to make this right and now we're going to try to really prove everybody wrong. Paxson is too competitive and too stubborn of a person to walk away. He did say in a recent interview, if it gets to a point where I don't feel confident in getting this team back on the right track, that I will come to to Michael and Jerry and say, I'm I'm walking away. But I don't buy that for a second because I think he does believe in the moves that they're making and he does think that he is still the right man for this job. And as much as Bulls fans scrape and claw and and clamor for it, the only way that Paxson leaves is if he resigns. They will never fire him. Forever. That is the sad reality that so many Bulls fans refuse to face. And until Michael Reinsdorf stops seeing hundreds of millions of dollars of increases in what his, what essentially is now his team is worth, Forbes... Top you know top ten list NBA franchises Bulls clock in at number four despite being thirteen and forty two when those rankings come out cool great keep doing what you're doing Pax I'll keep doing what I'm doing thanks for the call though I appreciate it because playing both sides and I don't think this Bulls fan's trying to defend the front office or the the ownership he's just saying like look at it from this perspective and I appreciate that and appreciate the call too here is a, a hypothetical trade from the seven oh three. How about this, guys? If the Bulls get Zion, fingers crossed, uh, trade Dunn, Felicio, and a 2021 top 10 protected first to Memphis for Mike Conley. What? 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 Why would Memphis take that deal? The Mem- Memphis would hang up the phone, too. I, why do Bulls fans have these grandiose ideas about trades and what other teams would accept as being equal value? For a while, Conley was the biggest contract in the NBA. And yeah, that was an overpay by Memphis. And they might be eager to move on from that. But Dunn, a a garbage man named Felicio, and a protected 2021 Furt? Like, what? In what world do the Grizzlies see that as equal or close to equal value for Mike Conley? Are you out of your mind? 
Yeah, we just heard that the like people were offering up pretty good deals to Memphis for for Mike Conley at the deadline, and that's like two years removed from what Mike Conley's still owed on his contract. And they said no, and they're like, no, nah, you know what? We'll just keep him. Stop it. Get some help. Here's another one, 587, and I've seen this a lot and a lot more, Matt. Uh, future lineup for 2020. This all depends on if we don't get John Morant in the draft. Moving Zach Levine to the point guard and a vet point guard to help show and teach Zach Levine who can play, also play meaningful minutes and teach Zach Levine how to play point guard. A shooting guard, which we'll need. Uh, Cam Reddish or R.J. Barrett. Small forward Otto Porter. Lowry Markkinen at power forward and Wendell Carter Jr. at center. So I guess playing off the idea of moving Zach Levine to your point guard position. Matt, I don't like this idea. I don't like this idea of moving Zach Levine to the point guard position whatsoever. Did we forget about the first 25 games of the season where Zach Levine was turning the ball over at an extreme rate when he was the main ball handler in a high usage percentage? Did we forget that? Uh, Apparently, this fan did because I'm with you. I think that's a terrible idea. Zach Levine is an awesome scoring threat at the two-guard position in this league. We have seen, even just from the simple arrival of Otto Porter Jr. and the creation creation of more space for Levine to operate, and the way that he can go one-on-one ISO and attack the basket and also knock down some outside shots when those opportunities present themselves, Zach Levine is such a valuable offensive weapon in this league, but not as a point guard. I'm sorry, we, we saw that. Just like you said, Jordan, the dude, when he is trying to be the team's primary ball handler and facilitator... He's a turnover machine. Yeah, he's had a couple of a, a little mini stretch run here recently where he's been racking up some assists, but that's just because of the way that the spacing has opened up on this floor. That is why. I still don't think he has good enough court vision, and he's not a strong enough passer to be a competitive team's primary point guard. I don't. Yeah, see I just it. don't like the idea of that at all. I don't like the idea of putting Zach Levine at the point guard position. Not only the fact that. His turnover rate was ridiculous when he had to be the main ball hander when you didn't have a point guard, a.k.a. Chris Dunn, out there. You had Cameron Payne and Archie Diacono and Shaq Harrison and everybody else that was in right. the mix. So. And I think that's why some Bulls fans, uh, including this one, are are so desperate right now to figure out the point guard thing because we have been disappointed with the hilarious carousel of backups over the last couple of seasons who have all been atrocious. And this season... Disappo- being disappointed in Chris Dunn when some of us had hopes for him having a bounce back year and actually proving that he belongs <laughs> as a part of this rebuild and a starting point guard in this league, which a, l- a lot of us, I think, are, are falling off of that wagon right now. We don't believe that Chris Dunn is the guy. So everyone's scrambling, trying to come up with solutions to the point guard position, but those of, that, those of you out there who think that Zach Levine is the answer, I know that you're trying to solve an issue right now but you take Levine out of the way that he can be the most efficient offensive weapon on this team and just create yourself a second problem and don't solve the initial problem. Yeah, all the problems don't need to be fixed right now. That It, it doesn't all need to be fixed right now. So that's, what, that's all I would say. And just think about it on a two-way perspective. Even if you flip-flop Levine and whoever you got starting at the two on defense... If you kept Levine at the point guard position and made a matchup against point guards, he would get absolutely torched on the defensive side of the ball. So even if you flip-flopped him and just let him run the point right. on offense, it it, it would just, it, I think it would be and, a mess. And just because, so just, and I think another factor, and I think we got a, a separate texter asking us about this, uh, noting the recent 
increase of chemistry that exists between Levine and Markkinen, and Levine and Markkinen running some pick-and-roll situations, some pick-and-pop situations that have actually started to look pretty good. Just, like, you can still have moments where you run a two-man game with Levine and Markkinen without Levine being your primary point, point guard. You can still use different looks and different sets on the offensive end that include continuing to build the chemistry of your two best offensive players right now, again, without making Levine your primary point guard. Those things can all exist in the same offense. Levine's improving his passing and his and his vision, but it's taking time, and he's taking baby steps towards that. It's not all going to happen overnight. Now I sound like Gar Foreman when I say that. It doesn't. You don't snap your fingers, and it all happens at once. But but still, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, and he's slowly improving on that. Don't just change things because that could make things regress. We don't have to figure everything out overnight, so let's just... Uh, yeah, I'm with you, but boy, just sifting through, we have so many fans saying we should play, we should try Zach at, the, at point guard. I just, I am not on board with that experiment. I think we've already seen what it looks like, and it doesn't look And good. I get it. Devin Booker is doing it in, in Phoenix, and it's working well, but Devin Booker has proved that he can be a really good passer, and I don't think Zach Levine's at that level yet, and he may never be at that level if Devin Booker can be. So let's just let's just relax and see if we can get a guy in here and just appreciate that Zach Levine is actually improving in his passing and his facilitating. And while Dunn is, is struggling mightily right now, options can open up this summer and see what happens next year. But just don't try to fix everything yeah. right now. Uh, all right, let's go to this one. This is an interesting one that I've been thinking about a lot myself recently, Jordan. This one comes from the 269. If the Bulls are to get lucky and land the number one pick this year, Zion obviously is the first choice. If that happens, how do you see him fitting into this lineup? Does he play at the three alongside Lowry and Wendell or at the four and they look to move one of those other guys to another team? Do they bring one of those two guys off the bench? And now, of course, even uh, bringing in... Otto Porter makes it even more complicated because now it's not so simple as plugging Zion at the three. Jordan, what are your thoughts on this one? Let me just say that I'm glad I'm not the Bulls coach. If the, I mean, and this is a good problem to have, right? If I mean, if you land Zion and now you've got Otto Porter, you've got Carter, you got Wendell, and you got Zach. I mean, you could hypothetically you could bring Zion off the bench as your six man. And you could still play him 25 to 27 minutes a night, right? Or start him off at 22 to 25 minutes a night and and see the slow progression of that. And if he is improving mightily, and like you said, he could play the three or the four, so you could stick him in as your backup power forward and also play him at the wing wing minutes. So um, the idea that he needs to be inserted right away in the starting lineup I don't think is necessarily true. But at the same time, we've seen the elite skills that he has in the NCAA, so it'd be kind of crazy not to play him right away on a rebuilding team. But yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it's not a concern for today because obviously we don't know yeah. if we're getting Zion. But even in the hypothetical, let's play that the Bulls have the number one pick. Are you going to play Devils? You know, we can figure that out. And obviously, this, this texture is right. You don't worry about fit. You take Zion Williamson Absolutely. because he is the only potentially franchise-changing talent in this draft class, which is pretty weak. And you worry about fit later. In that scenario, 
outside of, say, the same reason and logic they had for defending the Jabari signing, which I didn't agree with, in this scenario, don't worry about fit. Holy jeez, just take Zion. Don't screw up something this easy. This is an easy decision. People, to, before they really started watching Zion play at Duke this season, as this season has progressed, were concerned about how his body and his physical attributes would translate at the NBA level, specifically on the defensive end. And if anything, he has shown us time and again, including that insane block from a few days, a few games ago, that he is going to be a, vers- a versatile gifted benefit on the defensive end. I think that the Bulls could play Zion at anywhere 3, 4, or 5 with the, with the other talent they have on this team. We were talking in yesterday's episode about how you know, we've seen some looks from Boylan recently where you're playing Markinen at the five small ball. You're playing even Otto Porter at the five small ball. And the Otto at the five small ball didn't go well, but that's because the bull second unit right now is doo-doo. So you have all of these opportunities and all these windows of what to do. And there's even some people saying, hey, you know what? Wendell, he could be a guy that you can play at the five and maybe the four in some lineups given what what your other team is putting out there. So... There is versatility with Zion. I think the Bulls are going to have continued versatility with their front court when it comes to Otto and Lowry and maybe even Wendell that you can play around with different lineups and see what works. It's a good problem to have. That is a fantastic problem to have. Matt, last question here. Thought it was a good one. Want to sneak it in. This is from the 420, another another international texter, somebody who's been listening to our show for a long time, Renee, uh, all the way from Prague. He's a Chicago guy all the way from Prague. He said, can we finally end the narrative that Dunn is an elite defender? He clearly isn't. Also, uh, kind of want to get your guys' opinion on what Portis and Dunn's, or Portis and Parker's contract will be uh, this summer. What do you guys think teams will offer them? Okay. Um well, for starters, the whole done being an elite defender narrative. Here, let's just throw these numbers at you. His defensive rating his rookie year at Minnesota was a 109. Last season with the Bulls, it was a 107. This season with the Bulls, it's a 111. The Bulls as a team have regressed defensively. Um, so that is a factor in his defensive rating being the worst of his career this season. As far as his defensive box plus minus, it was 1.5 as a rookie, 1.4 Last year with the Bulls, and this season, just a 0.5. So still positive, but uh, almost a full point less than it was last season. And again, so this texture is necessarily incorrect, saying that they're sick of the Chris Dunn is an elite defender narrative, because this season, his metrics back up, Dunn's metrics back up the point that he is not an elite defender. But a lot of that is the fact that the Bulls as a team have been atrocious defensively this season. Yeah, I do agree with that. I mean, the defense has been down, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say like anybody was categorizing him as elite. Like how many elite defenders are actually in the NBA, right? Like not that many. Ten maybe, right? right. Ten? Fifteen? Um, as far as Portis and Parker this summer, I think Portis is asking sixteen million per. I don't think he's getting anywhere near that. Um, we'll find out. We find out how dumb the Wizards are this summer to see what they match. Um, I think Bobby Bobby probably can get probably ten million if he continues to play this play as well as he is. I think ten million per 
maybe I think eight to twelve million, twelve on the really high side if a team is really desperate to have some scoring options. But uh, Bobby's got to continue to play outstanding over the next twenty-seven games to really prove himself. Add those last season, this season together, combine those two. I think twelve million isn't out of the realm of possibility, but more realistic. Eight to ten million a year over two or three years, I think, is more realistic than anything. What do you think about Parker, though? I, I mean, clearly he did not end up being worth the twenty million the Bulls signed him to this year, and it's funny that they just want to take credit for the way that they structured that contract at twenty million with a team option, which essentially made an expiring deal, is what allowed them to get Otto in that trade. True, but not something they should brag about. As far as what Jabari's value is coming into next season or this summer. And free agency, again, we'll see how how much time he gets with these Wizards. We did see when the Bulls played them just last Saturday that Parker started the game coming off the bench and then at halftime got inserted into the starting five to start the second half. So, you know, maybe they're already starting to see the value in Jabari and want to see him stick around. Um, Although, you know, without John Wall pretty much all next season now with the Achilles I don't see them as really realistically trying to compete next season. So maybe they're not trying to spend money on a, a on a mediocre player like Jabari, on a one-way player like Jabari. Some other team out there might see what he did for the Bulls off the bench and what he's doing for the Wizards right now as a guy who can come in and just give you points. A poor man's Carmelo who can come in off the bench and create offense just with his with his skill set and pay him, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 15 million a season but i think there is next to no chance that jabari nets a multi-year deal this summer that has you know that has him earning 20 million annually i do not see that happening agreed I totally agree i think probably a one year deal like think about last year julius randall got a what a one year deal at 9 million dollars and Jabari still got two ACLs hanging up on him too. So right, I was going to say the L- the ACLs are still a factor here. It it would be a very big risk of any team to sign him to a big long term money deal with those two ACL tears. Maybe Jabari commits to a multi year deal at a significantly less price just because he got the twenty million this year. So he's made a little bit of money plus the being a first round of being a you know a top lottery pick and all of that he's made some money there so maybe he wants security over the bag and wants to go to a place that he can stay for a few years so but thanks for all your texts your questions the 219 says i'll tell you what it means to be a bull to be a part of the bulls core jordan uh, he said you need to be a part of the leadership committee Hey-oh. number one text to 2019 <laughs> oh well done well done. That's I mean, as long as Boylan's in charge, that's true. Who's the core? I don't know. Ask the leadership committee. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I think that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. We're headed into All-Star break, All-Star weekend, so no Bulls basketball for a little while. But uh, that doesn't mean that there is no shows. We will have shows for you on Friday. We will have shows all week next week, planning a bunch of different stuff. So continue to stay locked in here at Locked On Bulls. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked On Shy Bulls. Our text and voicemail lines at 331 979 1369. We're live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com, and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Nut channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. 
hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.